What do you get when you combine a licensed professional counselor who loves lifelong physical fitness with a strength and conditioning coach who loves mental development? You get Jonathan Pishner and Jerry Hanley, two guys who love to help you find ways to fix problems that will improve your life through what they call asymmetric habits, specific changes you can make with outsized payoffs. Hello, 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 everybody. Jerry, the East Coast Viking here with my good friend, Jonathan Pishner of Apex Counseling. If you're listening to this live, or just in general, happy Veterans Day to everybody out there who uh, served or has family who has as well. Um, but coming at you, I said, like, it's, uh, we're, you know, it's still technically fall, but we're one week into daylight savings time here in the U.S. with just making it, you know, darker even earlier now like you might even be eating lunch and it seems like it's getting dark all of a sudden which ties in very appropriately to today's topic seasonal affective disorder uh now jp this is one we've talked about for months <laughs> in terms of like coming up uh that this is definitely one we want to do and like right before this of course you said you know you were excited for this one had a lot to go in um and i know like personally this one's affected you as well and, you know, you've come up with a lot of different things there to help you, like, just, you know, get through these dark times and dark times in the sense of literal dark. <laughs> it's very theatrical, but technically accurate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> through these <laughs> actual longer night times. Oh, <laughs> uh, Bella, I'll go ahead and let you get in a little bit here. Cause I, said that I know this one's, this one's right up your alley. Yeah. So, so um, some people know they're impacted by this and a lot of people don't necessarily. But if, in case you do not know what this is. Seasonal affective disorder is when, uh, as the daylight starts to shorten, people's moods start to become uh, a problem. People start to have difficulty with uh, more depressive episodes, sometimes uh, higher anxiety. And a lot of it has to do with the changes that occur when uh, the days shorten. There's some neurochemistry that is different, but... For the people who struggle with seasonal affective disorder, that there's a lot of other things besides just the chemistry aspect that uh, are worth looking into. And the nice thing about this is, uh, if you're impacted by seasonal affective disorder, you almost never need uh, a great deal of psychotherapy to help with it. This is a thing that you can really help yourself a lot with if you know how to experiment properly, because there's no one size fits all solution. But there's a lot of very simple fixes to experiment with to see what you can do to help yourself with seasonal affective disorder. Uh, I'm curious, do you feel like is this do people know about this more now than maybe they did 20 years ago? Yeah, th th this is this is well known. I, that's kind of why I made space for some people to not know about it. But I, I'm very ready for many of the people watching this to at least have an idea what this is. Yeah. And I'm curious. I mean, this is also like um, because uh, I'm I'm curious because this is the nerd part of me coming out, like you know, with the chemistry portion of it. But I mean, does this go back in like the teachings or history of counseling and therapy? I mean, like to the beginning. Like, is this something that's been documented from the beginning of it, or is this uh, probably? I mean, I mean, it's documented even before there was such a thing as. Uh... 
like the field of psychotherapy because honestly you can you can look at uh you know any sort of historical documents that reference anything that sounds like cabin fever you've heard the term cabin fever. oh yeah okay yeah well what that's referencing is uh during the winter time people were holed up inside of their homes because there wasn't much to do there wasn't anywhere to go and if you live you know on the frontier or you live anywhere besides in a big city you you were basically stuck indoors for anywhere between three to six months depending on uh how bad the winter was so this has existed forever and people have known about it we just and like everything we just didn't have fancy names for it. it's like right. ptsd they used to call it shell shock uh seasonal affective disorder they used to call it cabin fever and probably several other things that i don't happen to recall right. the name of yeah very cool so i just love connecting those dots learning about that type of stuff so yeah so what are the most common ways that you see this manifest itself in people? Uh, lar largely uh, depressive type symptoms. So people will feel just like low mood. They'll feel low energy. They'll be less productive. And, and most people, it's it's significant, but it's not like uh, horribly detrimental. You don't generally have a, a non-suicidal person moving into suicidality mm. from seasonal affective disorder unless they were right on the brink of it from some other depression or something anyway, but, but it can easily make the symptoms of anything you're experiencing worse. If you're, uh, if your love relationship is having trouble and you get seasonal affective disorder, you're, you can have much more difficulty with your love relationship, uh, much more anxiety if you're an anxious person. So, so it definitely has a, has an impact on the other more serious issues in your life. Uh, which is why it's well worth trying to figure out some ways to treat. Yeah, that's a great way to distinguish that. I'm glad you did that with the, I mean, so like with the difference of saying that if you're, if you don't have any major issues, quote unquote, like with depression right now, like I said, it's just going to be more than likely just a mood change, energy change. But yeah, pointing out that if you are fighting any form of just difficult issues right now, then it can definitely make those things worse. Mm -hmm. Just because of like, yeah, it just seems like the entire, like your entire, I don't know why the word miasma is coming in my head. That's not it, but it's almost, almost like a, not a bad word. You're almost in the miasma of just like, yeah, just things being a little bit more blah. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, I know a big part of it. I mean, at least for me, you know, non-professional in this, I feel like I always notice this, like so many people, the way we notice it is just in that issue, in, in just in that annoyance, frustration of when it seems like if we just get off school slash work and there's only like an hour or two of daylight left. And that's, like I said, you know, because we are inside for those hours. We're doing the things we're supposed to do slash we have to do under a normal schedule. And then it suddenly seems like that takes the whole daylight and there just is nothing left with that. Yeah. So um, one of the things that, that I find helpful to do with people, like, so, so if I'm if I'm walking through this in a slow, careful way in the clinical setting is uh you know giving people a distinction between I, I call it two types of seasonal affective disorder that's that's not technically accurate but it's a useful way of looking at it mm -hmm. uh and so one of the things that, that i encourage people to think about is okay do you have actual neurochemical seasonal affective disorder or do you have behavioral seasonal affective disorder because those or do you have both because most most people will frankly have both but it, but it helps to figure out which thing you need to focus on more. Because mm. if we think about something, 
let's imagine somebody had no trouble with their neurochemistry out of out of increased uh, hours of darkness. But let's also imagine that there may be, uh, you know, they're like uh, an outdoorsy person. They, they play some sports. But if you are a person who you get most of your fun needs met through, I don't know, rock climbing, beach volleyball, and swimming in the lake, and then suddenly it's wintertime, those all disappear. And what that means is that if you get all of your social needs met and your fun needs met through that, and that all disappears for six months, neurochemistry aside, what happens to you? You're going to feel worse. And so uh, a lot of times it's useful to, to kind of distinguish between the, the two drivers of this. There's the neurochemistry driver, and then there's the behavioral driver where some people don't realize that you, you can't just cut off the, the things that meet your needs for a few months and expect to feel good. Okay. That, I mean, that makes a lot of sense, <clears throat> like separating it that way. So do you normally find that, like, um, is this type of thing that do people, like, ask for help or bring this up or question what's going on with them? Um, or is this something more that's, like, they may just be talking about things and seemingly, you know, stuck in a rut type of sensation. And then you can kind of like point it out if you know the signs you're looking for. Uh, yeah. Almost always number two. Uh, and, and usually somebody uh, will have at least enough insight to say, God, why do I feel so crappy in the winter? Like we're working on their other stuff and they'll say something like that. And, you know, we get into, well, here's exactly why. And, and here's some ways you can start to, self-experiment to combat that because mm -hmm. you know of course if you're talking to me we're already working on something else anyway and, and we don't want it Im negatively impacting uh the disorder that we're treating okay so so really for the behavioral one i mean it really gives you just one more reason why for example trying to find more hobbies slash social circles activities for you to do like uh, different times of the year isn't just simply something to like isn't just simply a suggestion to kill time or meet more people it can actually be something to keep your mood stable throughout the whole like your your mood and your disposition stable through the year through mm -hmm. the different seasons i mean i i never would have thought about that to be honest like it would have just seemed like especially because i'm one of those people like we weren't a sporty family growing up for example but even with that case that's still a very, that's still one of the earliest ways that I probably grew up thinking of seasons was mm -hmm. what sport is played during what season. It just was an easy connection to make, <laughs> you know, yeah. and it's all around and never thought about that as just one potential, you know, way, way to, to kind of like actually um, help, help your, you know, sustain your mood. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I mean, uh, the, you'll notice I said there's a lot of non-obvious ways this can this can present itself because you, uh, you know, let's, so let's take a friend of mine. There's a friend of mine that that uh, does a lot of drag racing. Uh, he probably does. He probably enters I don't know six eight races over the course of a year. Uh, and, and we've we've talked about psychological needs, belonging, fun, freedom, and power. Well, name me one of those needs that drag racing doesn't hit. But how many, how many, how much does that happen during the winter? None, because you can't drag race on ice. <laughs> and so it, it seems like, well, I only do this six or eight times a year. So, so this shouldn't impact my mood if it's, if it's gone for a few months. 
but that's oftentimes not the way the brain works. And so sometimes mm. it, it, it's almost like not very obvious that getting rid of this thing that only happens a few times a year, but you, you have a massive gap in between them can actually like be the behavioral side of uh, seasonal affective disorder. So one of the things I, I often encourage people to, to think hard about uh, is ways to replicate things. So that, that, that first thing I said is, uh, you, you know, imagine we got somebody who's like an outdoorsy person. Maybe they do a lot of rock climbing. Well, now that's easy here in our town. We have a rock climbing gym. Like we have literally a two-story gym that is all about rock climbing. Uh, so it's a little easier to replicate that. But uh, for a lot of people, you know, how, how do you replicate um, whitewater kayaking? Like, I, yeah. I don't know how to replicate that indoors. <laughs> They have when you're talking Olympic level facilities. <laughs> well, yeah, if you've got a ton of money, you can replicate it. But, <laughs> <That's great. laughs> uh, but one of the things you, you notice how at least every second or third podcast, the psychological needs come up, right? If you know what needs something hits, then you can say, well, okay, if I'm having a deficit in my fun, freedom, and power need, what else can I do that'll hit that, but I can do it indoors or I can do it during this season or I can fill in the blank. And that's a decent way to start trying to replicate things. Um, happily, all my, all my stuff seems to be, you know, indoor year round uh, available. So I don't have to do that part. I just have to address the neurochemistry part. But there's a lot of people who they really have to address the behavioral part. Yeah, like I, almost everything I would have thought of before this conversation would have been neurochemical. Which yeah, is and, and there's a lot of that. That's that's still really important. I'm I'm just hitting this first because it's it's the less obvious. Right. Yeah. So I really wouldn't have thought about that at all. And okay, so I mean, other like okay, so find looking for new activities or like I said something mm -hmm. like that. And like and like you said, taking this like not just new activities per se. But if you can make it a little bit more specific and find the ones that you're missing activities were hitting. So, I mean, you said that's a great, that's one great tactic and strategy to try to get involved in something else. What would be another one for somebody who suffers through it, who suffers through this? So, uh, you, you know, this is where it now starts to become person specific. Uh, because if we have, if we have the rock climber who doesn't have access to that, then we have to figure out like, okay, what can hit that? And, and oftentimes there's a lot of self-experimentation that has to go into it. Um, so like if we, uh, if we take the rock climber and we say, okay, well, we don't know what else will hit these needs. Well, so let's say this two weeks, you're going to try this thing, this, the next two weeks, you're going to try this thing and see what impact it has. Uh, this is a great opportunity also to try new thing, you know, new things you've always been wanting to try because now, now you have a much better excuse. Now it's medically necessary for your mood and your productivity. Uh, so uh, it helps people like try something that's got a little novelty. Uh, but one of the pitfalls that people will do is they'll, um, they'll accidentally replace the one thing with something that, that uh, is really not useful to them at all in terms of hitting the same things. So, uh, you know, let's take our, let's take our beach volleyball athlete who doesn't have access to that for six months. Okay. What are you going to do in your, in your, um, in your spare time to have fun? Uh, watch Netflix. <laughs> 
those two things don't I'm really catch up with all my shows. <laughs> yeah, um, and and that does work for some people. Like some people, actually, that shift works fine. But uh, what most people fail to do, and and here's the thing for the the person trying to figure this out. Here's what to do: is okay, I replace this with this, and it doesn't seem to be working. So what what now do I try instead of that? So okay, Netflix isn't working to replace my beach volleyball. So uh, let me try racquetball. That's an indoor sport. Uh, maybe maybe that'll be closer, or may, or maybe that's no good. That, that's why the self experimentation piece starts to become important. Uh, you know, sometimes you're not losing. You know, sometimes it's not about losing an athletic activity or a, a type of activity. Sometimes it's about losing the social aspect of it. So if beach volleyball is where I see all my friends, but I can just go see all my friends and have like dinner with them once a week, maybe that's the actual replacement. Maybe that's the behavioral hack. Uh, so so that's, that's why committing to self-experimentation is so important. And I, and I mean, I've been experimenting on my own seasonal affective disorder for let's just say at least six years by now, probably longer. Uh, and I definitely don't have my formula right, but it's pretty good. My formula is now yeah. pretty good. Well, you know, I think like this is normally a period of time where we're in two months, we're in the two months right now where gym usage tends to slow down a lot. You know, that changes at most gyms with the new years, but right now it tends to slow down a lot, like November, uh, you know, holiday season. And I feel like that would actually be for anybody who does have a lot of outdoor, more summersy daylight type activities. But like that, I mean, that right there would be a good spot for a lot of them, especially if it does have some of the same people or the same type of people. They mm -hmm. would, even if it's not like just to run with that same example, even if it's not the same beach volleyball athletes or beach volleyball at all, or even if it's not drag racers, if it's just simply got people in there who are also in competitive activities there's that kind of like just that in itself is a little social connection and you know i speak of that definitely coming from my gym where we have tons of different people who play different sports <laughs> your, your gym has more social connection than any other gym i've seen ever yes <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> but yeah exactly i get uh, different type you know different athletes different age groups different schools all that stuff but i feel like it's a big part of it and um, and, and a lot of times that's like, it, it's cool to see those connections happen and, and cheer each other. And, but yeah, like, I feel like that could be a big one is just, cause there is definitely something different between being at a gym. It, it's two different experiences and neither one's wrong, of course, but being at a gym to just do your work, you have headphones on example, like, you know, you're just there to do the work. And that one, for example, could help, could still help, but especially in the, uh, neurochemical one we'll talk about soon, but then it's a different, you know, you could do the exact same workout, everything like that exact same gym, but if it's also meant to be a more social experience, and I don't necessarily mean like you're talking, like you're spending all this time talking. I don't mean like a, not that it would be necessarily, but I don't mean like a wasting time social experience, but I mean, simply one where you actually talk to other people while you're there, you're involved, you know, maybe you do have some good conversations going with people like, you know, developing actual relationships. Those are two completely different type of workout experiences, even if the workout is exactly the same. Yeah. Um, so now, now, now before we move on to neurochemistry, there's a good pitfall to point out to people that, that really, it doesn't drive seasonal affective disorder, but it definitely makes things harder. 
because um, if you think about our entry into uh, the period where days are shorter and nights are longer, you got something else that is present during that time, which is the holiday season, Thanksgiving, yep. Christmas at all. Uh, and one of the things that can, if we think of the behavioral side of this, psychological needs, belonging, fun, freedom, and power. A lot of people accidentally use the holidays to really wreck their psychological needs. Uh, they'll be around people who are more toxic for them, oftentimes family members. Uh, if you've got a, uh, family members that are somewhat toxic to you, uh, they'll turn the holidays into a giant checklist instead of using them for rest and recuperation. So damage the fun need. Uh, so one of the things is uh, people can accidentally set themselves a bad pace for the winter for this simply by entering into this season uh, like with some vulnerabilities by, by treating the holidays in a way that's not particularly helpful to them. So uh, if I was going to encourage people to avoid a pitfall around this behaviorally, also be very conscientious of how you are handling the holidays, because that's since that's the entry into this season, uh, that sets the pace and the tone for how the rest of it goes. Yeah. I actually had written down right here. Now, these aren't quite that, but they are related to um, what uh, well related to that type of season, especially one of them slightly cheating in terms of seasonal affective disorder. But I was wondering one about people who go into it, you know, we're looking at the behavioral one, but part of theirs is that they're going into it alone, you know, so whether they had, so, so again, we're not talking purely seasonal here and I, and I recognize that, but nevertheless, you have that reminders that you're going into the holidays, reminders of that period. And maybe you're alone through, you know, you just, you just don't have people left anymore. Or maybe it's it's been um, breakups, divorces, bad relationships, fights, whatever. And another one, like um, business people who have who this is a slowdown period. This, I'm, I'm curious. I would be kind of curious about that if you've ever come across really those people or had those conversations where this is a really stressful time for some business owners or just employees and like things that might help them just kind of deal with that depression they may have. Uh, yeah, I, I think um, if I was going to offer any one thing that, that doesn't turn into its own whole separate topic, right? Well, yeah, uh, I feel like it could. <laughs> It, it, it would be that no matter what, just assume you are going to have a drop in productivity. Because uh, uh, a lot of people make up this, this idea. Uh, so, so I don't know if you've ever done this, you, uh, but, but many people do this. You ever notice that when you plan out the amount of time it takes to get somewhere, you kind of instinctively know uh, what that time would be with all green lights and no traffic but right. then if you like hit red lights and traffic like you tend to get annoyed and irritated and oh yeah yep what so the similar thing can happen with our productivity when we think about how productive we should be we uh will accidentally look at our maximum productivity uh period and say it should be like this all of the time and that is not true that is even take the seasons out of it and it's not true. Put the seasons in and it's way not true. Uh, a lot of people accidentally make up that they should be exactly as productive, uh, you know, dead in the middle of the Christmas season as they are in high summer. And that's not true. 
the thing a, a business owner or a, a an executive or some other like highly success oriented person could do for themselves to not wreck themselves is build in the assumption that you are going to be 15% less productive, 20% less productive and operate off of that instead of beating the ever loving hell out of yourself for not being as maximally productive as you are in high summer. I think too, another one that would help is this is one of those places where if you recognize that a lot of, a lot of what you do see results wise now, so we are talking about business a lot of it may be built on groundwork that you may, you know, lay down 60, 90 days ago. So <clears throat> kind of like one of those things where if you can set the systems up a little bit earlier to try to take you through this part in the slow period. I know that's true. Cause like, ironically, we're slow, like our gym doesn't really function this way. Um, since we function more based on like our trends are more based on sports seasons and when they end. But like I said, since I mentioned for a lot of gyms, these are slower time periods gym owners you know have those months of july august september etc to really try to lay down groundwork to make this part you know either so their but either so they have extra cash laying around or to minimize it to lower expenses or just simply pushes that they have found worked to bolster memberships and businesses time frame when otherwise it might be a slower period so if you lay in the work ahead of time that can definitely help or just work yeah. aimed at addressing that issue is what I should say. Uh, so yeah, looking at the neurochemical one, let's uh, like, this is, this one's definitely a big one. I would say, okay, so top is like, I mean, since we are talking literally about sunlight here, you know, for a big part of it and not having as much of it is I think people are less aware now of the importance that sunlight actually plays in their, like in their life and in their health. They might know it. Like I feel like they said they're more aware of things like seasonal affective disorder, but I feel like they're less intuitively understanding of how healthy sunlight is. Because again, because I mean, it's getting it is getting pushed as less important to daily life, and I feel like a lot of people just don't have that connection anymore of how important it really is. Like mm -hmm. for a long time, and I mean, as far as we know from the very beginning up until at least the seventies, maybe later. It was there was a very strong message out there of like get sunlight, <laughs> and then that message started to fade. Yeah, or we'll get lost in the noise. Uh -oh. Although to be to, to be fair, sunlight is a little more dangerous than it was uh, fifty years ago on account of. Uh, I mean, that's true. Uh, yeah, the ozone <laughs> stuff, but uh, but yes, you you are absolutely right that that people and I love I love exactly what you said uh, because it's right. People know about seasonal affective disorder, and yet uh, many people also don't put together easily that, yes, that means that sunlight is important in daily life. Uh, we, we, we compartmentalize everything. We're so used to being specialists and specialized in everything that we, we no longer view things as systems quite as easily. So, yeah, all that to say, you're right. I think I think that's true. Yeah. And I mean, because like, uh, I mean, I know a big one is vitamin D. You know, you get that. Um, circadian rhythms are another one. Like we're actually, there's a enormous uptick in healthy sleep patterns and people who get sunlight into their eyeballs as early, like as soon as they wake up as possible. Like they have much healthier sleep patterns if they, if they just get, if you get sunlight within, you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes of waking up, rather those who wait a few hours. Um, really? Because it, I've read that. Yeah. 
Yeah, because it's um, it's basically it's connecting to your to your natural circadian rhythm. As soon as you get that natural sun, that natural blue light from the sun, at the angles when it presents as close to dawn as as close to like sunrise as possible, it communicates that to your circadian rhythm systems as hey, you know, we're waking up at this time and helps and helps set those patterns up so you sleep better and wake up better. Um, That's an interesting proposition because it suggests that being a member of the 4 a.m. 4 a.m. club is unhealthy. So, <laughs> right. Or at least step outside. Yeah, something like that. Um, and actually, like, and it's crazy is that the number, the amount of blue light is that comes from a book called like a book, a book called Sleep Smarter. But the, um, I remember saying like the amount of blue light that you're that is absorbed by your corneas is is crazy different if you go from you know like contact lenses or glasses or just your eye just your bare eyeballs which makes you know just makes sense in terms huh. of how like each one just allowing more blue light but in general just getting outside and getting some early on is better than not yeah, if you got this sitting around you'll have to let me borrow that because uh, uh that's that's an item i've never read although uh, the the thing as I go further and further into my field and into my career, uh, the thing I'm for sure learning is that for every one thing we learn about how uh, neurobiology works, it suggests five more questions oh, because sure. the thing we learn doesn't make any damn sense. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm sure. And yeah, like, that one's actually at the, uh, the one that should be in the bookcases at the, at the, at the gym. So I'll definitely be able to get that to you. Yeah. Uh, but now, now the thing that you're talking about is one of the things that's most well known, which is that the, uh, neurochemically, the, the easiest thing to do is get as much sunlight as possible, which if you work anything resembling a nine to five job means you are stuck inside under fluorescent lights for exactly the hours that the stupid sun is in the sky. Mm. Uh, so, uh, Building around that as much as you can is useful. Uh, you know, if you have days off, then then trying to get sunlight on your days off. Uh, if you can be outside some, even if it's just taking a walk. Uh, the 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 research on this is not as clear as I wish it was, but it, it certainly seems like getting as much skin and eye exposure is as possible is what's useful so the more exposed skin you can have while you're getting your sunlight the better so so obviously like mm -hmm. i have like the solar dome here uh so just naturally if i walk without a hat on i i get a little more sun exposure than some people but you know if you wear a short sleeve shirt for a little extra sun exposure uh it, you know you can go to the full uh mauser method and wear shorts and flip-flops <laughs> mm -hmm. but just just uh, uh, sucking up as much sun as possible is one of the frontline ways to help yourself a lot where possible. I mean, frankly, I understand it's, it's not as possible uh, as we would wish, which is why we have the entire problem in the first place. But if you're going to try and address it neurochemically, that that's a great place to start. Yeah. And, and then it's, you know, depending on the weather, I mean, you know, we've had some October was colder than November so far for us. So yeah. Yeah, but if it's, you know, when you get down, when you do start getting down to the 40s, 30s and below, being outside and getting and having skin exposed at the same time, it may not be the greatest idea or feasible. So what makes it even harder. Um, yeah. 
Now, now, now there's there's a thing I love to do during the snowy season, uh, which is if it snows, and then you get that wonderful couple of days where once the clouds cleared, the sun is just blasting off of the snow. I open up all the curtains, open up everything, and like, oh, like just good. lets yeah, I let sunlight permeate the house. Uh, and and if it's if it's warm enough, I'll just go outside and stand in it. Uh, every once in a while, we'll get a warm enough day where I I can actually go out and like lay in the lounge chair and like like I'm tanning myself. Uh, except in winter, because uh, I, I have a little bit of enough of a cold tolerance to do that if I'm in sunlight. Uh, but that's a trick I do is anytime there's snow on the ground where you get that light bounce and it amplifies yeah, the sunlight. A, that's a good one. Um, and while we're still talking about the effect of sunlight specifically, I mean, I know one that I'm, I'm pretty positive you, you have used before or, or maybe still use, um, but is uh, like red light therapy. Is, is, a, is a possible, you know, if you can't get, you know, basically if you can't go find actual sunlight, if you can't get in it, there are, you know, we, we are in a time of society now and technology where you can actually go and in essence manufacture sunlight, which again is, it sounds weird, but can actually help. And um, I mean, yeah, the idea of, of light therapy is, is again, exposing your skin, exposing your eyes, all those things to different um, wavelengths of light which we're supposed to get more of and don't necessarily get a lot. So yeah. Well, and uh, let's do the more accessible one first, because before red light therapy, uh, sun lamps have been around longer than that. There we go. I knew I knew there was something else. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you, you can buy, if you go to Amazon, I think they're about like 20, 30 bucks each. Um, and you're, you're supposed to kind of like have them on for X amount of time. I've, I've never actually used one. It's one of the few things I've never used. Uh, but I have a lot of clients who use them. And one of the things that does seem accurate uh, when I have people experiment with it is some people get a lot out of one lamp uh, and some people don't seem to get much. But uh, one day it occurred to me because somebody said, yeah, I feel like I get something out of it, but it just really doesn't seem enough. And I said, well, these things are somewhat inexpensive. What if you just bought a second one and see if that like and turning both on helps? And for that particular individual, it did, but for some of them, it doesn't. So, so uh, you know, if you have the money laying around to do some experimentation, buy a sun lamp or two or three or four, uh, and experiment with if that can help you. Because that that's been, as far as I know, probably clinically proven. I've not bothered to look up the research on it, but. Uh, Certainly anecdotally, it works enough that uh, I don't mind suggesting people try it out. Uh, but that, that, that one's much more accessible. Red light therapy, you have to have somewhere to go or buy one of the big panels. Uh, and, but yeah. but it, it's another light I will substance. say, like, I mean, you, you, like I said, we are still talking about money and we're, we're definitely aware of that. But there is... Um, those are also getting more accessible in terms of payment. Like, you can get personalized red light ones for... I haven't looked in a year or two, but I do remember seeing them for like 150 bucks, that type of thing. Okay. That's... Where it's, it's, you know, it's basically like literally enough of a panel to put on the desk type of saying thing. So if you're, you know, it's, if you're talking one, like one person, something like that can help. So again, they're out there. Um, yeah. And, and, um, you know, one of the things that, that I, I often 
ask people to think about because some people will be a little price sensitive and and, and reasonably so but yeah. some people will be price sensitive when it doesn't make sense to be and so if i'm thinking about buying a thing and, and imagining like okay this could give me a 20 percent boost through the winter months you know i make sure to ask myself the question like would i pay uh $150 for my life to be 20% better for four months well yeah I'll find 150 bucks <laughs> right. I'll, I'll go work at sheets a few weeks to, find, to get 150 bucks yeah. to, to do that um, um so so yeah it, uh, but the red light therapy for me because I have tried it and it had mixed results it was like good but it I don't know it, it, it felt really weird because in the beginning it was good because last year to share my own red light therapy experiment I, I, try, I only tried it for the first time last year and i uh did this thing where uh is really huge absorption like a, a big panel in the front big panel in the back yeah. if you're in morgantown they, they do it over a move right that's where i did it and uh for a few months it was good but there at the end it, it was and, and i know you're enough of a Tolkien nerds, you'll appreciate me using a reference here. Uh, you know that line where Bilbo's talking about like feeling like thin and stretched? Yes. <laughs> like, like towards the end, I kind of started to feel that way. Like, it kind of felt weird. because um, and, and I was doing it three, three or four days a week because they had this package where you could just go as much as you want. Right. Uh, so I was doing it three and four days a week. And there, there's towards the end, I felt a little odd. Uh and so I have a new hypothesis. So I'm, I'm trying a new experiment this year. I'll let you, uh, I'll try to remember to update y'all on like uh, how, how well it works. Is this, my new hypothesis is, well, okay, maybe I was doing it too much. Maybe my body does need to enter like some sort of hibernation phase because we're somewhat designed for our environment. So now what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna let November and December pass. And I'm not going to start any light therapy until mid-January. And then I'm going to start light therapy. Right. And so I'm going to let my body like enter a little hibernation, but see what happens if I just cut it short. I like that self-experimentation. Yeah. Yeah. While we are like, you know, on the, on the topic of, of some ways that can they like cost a little bit of money, but for people who are okay with it or, you know, like willing to look at it, like what about, um, what have you found in terms of people taking, you know, like trips or vacations in the middle of the winter months? Like is that, um, if, if you can do that, if you can just like go to uh, somewhere sunny for four months and work remotely, like if you got the bank to do that, what are we even talking about here? Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Like if we're not like, I don't even mean that, but like in terms of people who seem to be like really affected by whether it's the lack of sunlight or the cold or whatever, if they take, you know, even like a long weekend and are, able, you know, if they're able to, and they take even a long weekend somewhere sunny, have, have you like, do you have enough experience to know like how much that of an effect that of a positive effect that may actually have on them? Or is it pretty short lived when you kind of get back to normal? It, it, so it's, it's fairly individualized. Um, some people can get positive effects for that last for a little bit. So, so that, that whole, uh, uh, like super absorption of sunlight from the snow thing, uh, that I run off of that for four days past when it's, when it's ended, uh, you know, same thing. I, I've had people like go to a sunny vacation and they seem, they'll seem better for a week. 
but then I'll, I'll have people do the exact same thing and they'll come back and they'll basically be just as like low energy as they were when they left. And it literally only lasts for when they are, uh, for when they're there. Yeah. And that's why this is so individualized right. and why, why it requires so much experimentation to see what works for you. Uh, I do remember a point actually uh, earlier this year and it was in the winter and went on Disney trip. And it was the first time I'd been to Disney since I was like five years old, you know, something like <laughs> that. And I went and um, it was, for me, it was a short one. Like it was a go down on Friday, come back on Monday to get to work. And I remember landing, you know, came back, landed. Um, I, I I am a shorts and t-shirt guy <laughs> very frequently <laughs> in the winter. So I had that on. I had like my like Disney style, like Western hat and came back and either there was snow in the car and I instantly got in the car and instantly drove to a high school workout and to a high school workout uh, down in one of the high schools and did the workout like in my Disney hat. You know, like in the snow. But it was, I, I hope it was one of those mousier hats. Like that. That's what I'm envisioning. It had the Disney like logo in the front there, but it was like a straw hat. Uh, okay, that, that's that's good enough. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm good with that. Like this dude just rolled out of like, <laughs> like, like literally rolled out of Florida two hours later, basically, or something like that, in a high school <laughs> in the snow doing the workout. And, and I was pumped and jazz, but I mean that could also just be the 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 energy of the of the day having to you know making sure that i even got there in time um but anyway so okay so what are some of the other neurochemical th things you found when it comes to people so we everything we talked about so far has been exclusively just sunlight exposure or vitamin d well and and, and so that's 80 percent of it uh some people take a vitamin d supplement like if you google seasonal affective disorder and how to treat it like that that's going to be number two or three in what to do um, I personally have never noticed uh, a great deal of impact on myself from that, but there are some of my clients who swear by it. So clearly it works for them. Uh, but realistically, the light therapy and the uh, uh, seasonal or uh, geez, the vitamin D and then, uh, you know, of course, it comes up a lot, but exercising helps a lot, not because it impacts uh, the direct neurochemistry that comes up with uh, seasonal affective disorder uh, it doesn't balance out the lack of sunlight, but what it does is you get uh, the mood balancing effects of the serotonin and the brain-derived neurotropic mm -hmm. factor and the temporary effects of the endorphins. Uh, so while it's not like a primary treatment, it's a decent secondary treatment to make sure you're getting some kind of exercise. Uh, that's the other major neurochemical way, uh, to deal with it. And, and th th this, well, I, I guess maybe not like th this one, this one is also a little iffy. Uh, and I, I really don't know if there's any research on this, but I'm just reporting what my clients report. Uh, it seems like that people who allow themselves to not be super strict on, uh, dietary restrictions, uh, especially caloric mm -hmm. deficit stuff like uh having the uh, allowing for the extra caloric overload throughout the uh throughout the winter months seems to be helpful to some people my assumption being that being in caloric deficit uh is just stressful on the body and it's just exacerbating the other problems with seasonal affective disorder and any other disorders that are present 
but I've not read any research on that. So that's literally just a hypothesis that I carry around. Right. Uh, you know, I was actually just having that conversation with a mom two or three days ago, tops. And um, I feel like in her in that case, it was pretty direct to what you're talking about in the sense. Now, I was talking about, um, you know, her at like her son, daughters, uh, athletes, just athletes in general. I was asking how much like, with their season, with their fall season over in this case, I was asking exactly like what exactly, if anything, they had to do competitively coming up in the next couple of months, like, you know, fall sports may have indoor variations coming up now, et cetera. Um, and where I was going with that in that conversation was that like, I felt like this would be a good time to let their like high school athlete or encourage them to gain a little bit of weight. Um, not because they need to get bigger, not that type of thing, but they're in a sport where like they keep their body weight pretty low and, you know, like they spend tons of energy and because, oh, yeah, because I, I remember how this even started. It started with her saying, like, yeah, like they like can't stop eating all of a sudden since season's over. Um, and they're like, you know, I don't know if they're going through a growth spurt again or what. And I was like, I mean, you know, that's always a possibility in that age range. Could be. Uh, it could definitely be part of it. But I was like, you know, part like the body does have a tendency where it will try to recover, not just in terms of like from yesterday's workout, from today's workout. It doesn't just think that that small. It'll try to recover itself from three, four month intense like periods of intensity. So I was like, you know, it's probably trying to feed itself back from that, and that is why like a lot of athletes, like you know, most sports, if like I almost wanted to say all sports, but that's just technically not quite true. But most sports, you will lose weight during the season unless you're really trying not to. Like it is just that that's just the way that like it, it, it tries to take you to like tries to take you. So especially if they're pretty long ones and it's kept pretty low, getting that period of bounce back can be helpful. Now I do think, so I said, so that's one side. I do feel like there's actually just a, and kind of like you said, this is more an anecdotal and from decades of picking this type of stuff up than any research based, but there, I, I, I am a believer that the body is almost made to have those swings up and down just you know, not yo-yo style. Nothing, not yeah. absurd, not not intensity. But so even on the other side of things, where this is a period like if you, for whatever reason, you know, tend to like, you're very, you eat a lot, you're very like regimented, all that stuff. This might be a good time frame to almost cut down on some eating times, because naturally, you know, naturally meaning historically, like go back before, like you know, this was this was a more famine type time a natural famine not as much food or it might be harder to get food so we ate a little bit more in the feast famine type like type of pattern at this point mm -hmm. so so like this could be a good a good period like you know if you don't have other other energy needs this could be a good time frame to almost cut experiment a little bit with cutting food out a little bit and see if that helps like almost doing a little, maybe, maybe almost doing a little intermittent fasting at this point in time. And this isn't even like me saying intermittent fasting is the answer. This is just, again, like throwing out ideas for that self-experimentation because those type of things are so good at resetting our chemicals and like stuff like that, like you're saying. Um, mm -hmm. I want to put, I want to show this here. I don't know if it pops up on your screen, but um comment actually from Owen Schmidt. Uh, if you remember Owen from WVU football. Yeah, from ages ago. 
yeah, from his uh, Seattle Seahawks days. This is awesome. But he says, playing in Seattle where you deal with low light overcast, vitamin D drops helped in my opinion. Uh, you know, he mentions it never experimented. Oh, I've never tried the sublingual drops. I've only tried the, the pills. I forgot you could get the liquid. Oh, yeah, like I, I didn't think about that at all. Like I was or even earlier in my head when I was thinking about like supplemental style vitamins, minerals, I was just thinking, you know, your classic hard chalky pill like or, or something like that. Like I wasn't, I, mean, I forgot about you could have drops. So mm-hmm. you know, there's somebody who's experienced it. He says he felt like that part helped right there because i mean because it, it makes a big difference i said people forget how well, well, well yeah and and the pacific northwest is is actually like really bad for exactly this because like you said it's just overcast all the time during the winter yeah um so kind of like you know closing like while we get close to closing i'm curious like are have you found or ever encountered anybody you know where they like they've used other senses to help them with this and ironically it's the pacific northwest comet that made me wonder it like if you're lit like you know if you're like at the pacific pacific and you have the ability to say go to the ocean the ocean's freezing (laughs) at that point you know but nevertheless for example being able to like smell ocean like ocean water or something like that or you know just people in essential oils aroma or like aromatherapy like um have you like do you know much or anybody who people like say where they use those those methods to help them through this a little through this time? So uh I can't recall anybody saying that, but the thing you're proposing ha- has some interesting uh possibilities. Uh so for, for people who are who are going to try their own self-experimentation, that this is actually a good idea Jerry's proposing. Uh so the thing about those kind of, of things is like, I don't end up recommending them very much because of course I'm treating like trauma and stuff. And, and you can't really use like essential oil therapy to like uh, treat deep seated trauma, or at least it's not yet been uh, clinically proven to be able to, uh, you can't do it through like uh, some of the, the light, uh, the, the lighter type of behavioral therapies, but seasonal affective disorder is uh light enough on the brain that that you might be able to do that uh you know i would uh, matter of fact uh you know i would say i probably increase my use of essential oils in the winter months and i'm i was not specifically thinking about that but that i do seem to do that so i might be instinctively doing exactly what you're proposing uh the thing you said about the ocean uh you know one of the things if you know that something has positive uh, positive um, associations for you, then deliberately provoking that can help a lot. Uh, you, you know, another another thing that talking about self experimentation, the type of music I listen to in the winter actually changes. I notice that I very much prefer uh, heavier like metal type stuff in the winter that makes me feel better than listening to it in the summer summer it's all about like 80s hair metal and then like uh I know exactly what you mean <laughs> yeah and then in the winter it's power metal why i don't know but that does seem to work and and it's just through self-experimentation um you know if you want to try sound therapy this is not a bad i this is not a bad time to try uh if you don't know what it's what it is uh there's a thing called binaural beats uh and 
they play it, you have to do it with headphones on uh, so that you you get the full effect uh, and stereo headphones because sometimes one sound going in one ear is different than the sound going in the other ear uh, but they do produce uh, marked physical and uh, emotional effects so this is a good time to experiment with that because again it's not going to treat your depression but seasonal affective disorder is light enough that it can help a lot with those kind of things so yeah it, what you're proposing while I don't have a ton of people report uh, on it, and therefore I don't have any successes or failures to report, if somebody said, hey, I'm going to try this and I think it could work, I'd be like, dude, go for it because that has some chance of working. Very cool. So, all right, man. I think we're in a good place for your summary. <laughs> you know I have to do it. Uh, so it, to to kind of wrap it up, if you're going to try and help yourself with seasonal affective disorder, view it in two ways. Neurochemical, which is where you have your light therapies, your supplements, uh, your exercise, actually, yeah, your exercise, and any of these other little things that uh, we, we just talked about two minutes ago. Uh, but then make sure to not neglect the behavioral side of it, meeting your psychological needs. If in the winter months you get less social interaction, Try and get as much as you do in the spring and summer months. If you have lost your your usual hobby, try and replace it with something that triggers the same things in your brain because a lot of people treat the chemical side but don't get the full effect because they actually also need to treat the behavioral side. And don't forget that if, if seasonal affective disorder hits you hard, you're going to manage it. You're, you're not going to cure it, or, or at least if there's a cure for it, I haven't found it and I've been working on it for a while. So uh, if you happen to find an absolute cure for yours, drop it in the comments because I would love to know what you did. Awesome. Awesome. So, yeah, it's a great talking with you, brother. I think this, this one's such a common theme and there's just so many different ways to experiment to make it better. Um, and so many people have this. So many. Exactly. Um, Owen, still there. Catch it up. Appreciate you jumping in on that, man. Great to hear that from someone like you and always – just always hearing about how it's going. Um, so, yeah, man, I think it's going to be good. If you're watching this, hope you get something out of this. Please feel free to share it, give it comments, engage with it, things like that. And we'll be back here in a couple of weeks. Like uh, currently, we, you know, we are still slated. We'll be back on Black Friday. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be awesome. So, yep. So happy holidays, everybody. That's when you're catching this. And we'll see you later. Yeah.